Uh, I, got, I got delayed on my fist bumping the students over there, so, you know, uh, all about the next generation. Uh, we have been doing a series, and this week, obviously, uh, there's going to be some different things that happen. Um, we're going to try to catch you up, and then we're going to try to take you through a very fun and, I think, memorable moment. And in the first service, uh, it was very powerful, and I feel like our worship in the second service is directly, directly attributed to the worship that was in the first service, and man, it was just, just amazing. Um, so we've been going through the story of Joseph, and I'm going to set the table today, and then <clears throat> these are going to be my brothers, so uh, we left off last week where the brothers were at the door, and today they're going to be invited to the table, and we're going to see what hilarity may ensue um, in the midst of covering a serious subject. And so if you're new to our church, um, the 32nd Cliff Note version is that we've been covering the story of Joseph. Joseph is an incredible tale, and it's woven into many ups and downs, trials and travails, and Joseph had a dream, and that dream has slowly began to come to pass, but in the end, it's going to take 20-plus years. It's going to take uh, a prison sentence that he didn't deserve. It's going to take betrayal from his brothers, selling him as a slave, and ultimately being forgotten when he's in prison. And he's going to have to go all th through all of that so that he can get to this sweet, incredibly redemptive uh, reconciliation type of moment. And so um, as we were introducing the story, we have to kind of go back and pick up some highlights before we move forward. Uh, number one, there was a lot of things and motifs in this story about silver. You remember that when his brothers sold him for the price of a slave, they, th they sold him for 30 pieces of silver. And there was one brother in particular, and his name was Judah. Well, that was the one that made that decision. Coach Span is going to be our Judah for the day. Look at him. Everybody say Judah with like kind of a sneer. One, two, three. Judah. So we don't say Judah. We say, Judah. Look at him. As we're considering what his brothers did to him, they sold him for 30 pieces of silver. And then they went down to Egypt when the famine came. So it took 13 years for Joseph to get on top. And then it took seven years of feasting, and now we're into some portion of time of the famine. So we know that this has been at least 20 to 22 years in the making. The first time they go down, they buy some grain, and Joseph has his head servant put the silver back in their bags. When they return home to their father, they open their bags, they see the silver, and they think, oh my gosh, they're going to think we stole it. And why do they think like that? We talked about it last week. Because they think like that. All right? So they're all panicked. And they had to leave an insurance policy in Egypt. And his name was, anybody remember? Who did they leave? Simeon. Who said that? Good job, Matt. That's our life group pastor right there. The rest of you, if you didn't know the answer, you should show up to church. And then you know all the answers to the test. All right? There's going to be several opportunities today. Simeon, and what did we say Simeon meant? Did anybody remember? Say it out loud. Who said that? Dude, 
Ainsley, one of our interns, future staff member probably. Mm -hmm. What? Right answer. To hear and to obey. We said that when they went back to their father, what they left in Egypt was Simeon locked up, their ability to hear and obey. And we see that that prophetically plays itself out because they do not hear through all of this what God is trying to say, and they do not obey. They don't confess. They don't turn. They don't repent. They're not sorrowful for their sin. And so they returned to Jacob, and, and they said to him, Hey, he said, if we ever want anything else, we got to take back our youngest brother. And does anybody remember what his name was? Benjamin, thank you. Now, you're, now we're cooking, okay? Who am I? Who am I in the story? Joseph, okay? I'm Joseph, all right? I'm the second youngest brother. And remember we talked about there's some family crazy dynamics that Benjamin, who's going to be represented by Jorge today, we favor each other. Um, so me and Jorge, we're blood brothers. So all of these are my half-brothers. But we share a mom. Her name was Rachel. And that was the love of my father's life, Jacob. And then some of these were born to lazy-eyed Leah. So, you know, <laughs> a little bit off, let's say. Anyway, so there's all kinds of drama represented in this relationship. And, and the silver becomes the thing that we begin to see. So they put the silver back in their bags. They tell their dad. They freak out. The grain runs out, and they have to go back to Egypt. Now, remember, originally, Jacob said, there's no way. I've already lost Joseph. I've lost Simeon. And I'm surely not going to send you my baby. I'm not sending Benjamin back down there to Egypt. But then the situation and the circumstance began to squeeze Jacob's life. Just like some of you are sitting inside of a circumstance and God is beginning to apply pressure to your life. And He's trying to get you to turn. He's trying to get you to stop before you get to the edge of the cliff. And it's amazing how I say that and you know who you are. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And I have no idea. Some of you are guests just walked in here you're like, how does He know? God knows. God knows. And he applies pressure through providence to your life. Now, at the end of the day, it's your choice. It's your choice what you do. But can God try to make the horse drink? Yes. Yes. I had a professor at seminary said, you cannot um, force a horse to drink water. But if you ride him real hard, he'll be thirsty when he gets there. Parents, you should just put that one. I don't want to do it. Oh, I'm not hungry. Oh, go to bed then. Tomorrow you'll be hungry, and that mill will still be sitting there. <laughs> just throwing it out there. Just throwing out some options. They'll never say they're not hungry again. My children never say they're bored. There's not a bored person in my house. Anytime anyone's ever been bored, we'll go out in the backyard, we'll cut grass with a pair of scissors. <laughs> you think I'm lying. No bored people in my house. There's always something to do. And the church said, mmm, mmm. I was just free, felt inspired. 
Some parent needed to hear that. Anyway, they're heading back down. And Jacob's master plan that we learned about two weeks ago was that he was going to double the amount of silver, throw in some perfume, and then we said there was a funny one. Does anybody remember what that was? Of all the things I preach, that's what you remember. Simeon, no one remembers that incredible biblical truth of hearing and obeying. Pistachios! Gotcha, bastard! Gotcha, pastor! Um, so, um, pistachios, that was the plan. And we said last week when they got there, the second time, when Joseph saw Benjamin entering the courtyard, he said, take them up to my house and we're going to have lunch. It says, when they were invited to the house, they were fearful. They said to themselves, he is going to beat us up, he's going to enslave us, and he's going to steal from us our possessions, even our... Dude, see? Man, pistachios and donkeys, that's what i got to get more of in this sermon. I feel like it's Shrek all over again. Donkey, Eddie Murphy. Anyway... We said that they were walking up to the house, and here they are at Joseph's house, this palatial estate. He has hundreds of servants. He has the best that anything could ever, he has steeds. He has he's everything, everything you could ever want. He has it. And they think that he wants their donkeys. He thinks that they want, that he wants their silver. Think about that for a moment. If you have everything then what is the value of anything? And how many of us are in the posture of the brothers? That every Sunday you're bringing in here your pistachios, and unfortunately some of you, you're with your donkey. <laughs> so some of you will catch up to it later. <laughs> oh, I'm really thinking the King James Version there, and that's why I get your donkey over here. Anyway, here they are showing up, and remember they said as they were walking up to the house, they tried to have a side conversation with the head servant. They're like, hey, hey, can we, before we get in there to talk to the big guy, um, you know, there was a thing, a mishap, I don't know what happened, but the silver last time, it was in our bags, and then we got home, and it's like, hey, there's the silver, and we didn't want there to be a problem when we get in there, and so they're like trying to like smooth it over, and the head servant, do you guys remember what he said to him? He's like, I had your silver, I received it the last time you were here, do you know who put the silver back in your bag? He said, your God did. They said, we don't know who, he said, I know who, it was your God. Now, do you think on a divine irony level, if you've ever wondered, does God have a sense of humor? He surely must have a sense of humor. Look at what he does to your life all the time. Like, there's no way. Look at your children. God has a sense of humor. You know how I know he made them just like you, just like you. He's like, now you get to deal with you. <laughs> anyway, sometimes that's brutal. You think, was I really like that? No, you were. You were. 
So they're heading up to the house, and what we're going to find is another piece of silver is going to enter the equation. Bring me my cup. Thank you. Now, this felt like a Joseph cup, but if you are a wine drinker, this is a one cup night, okay? <laughs> just, just letting you know. Casual alcohol joke there. Um, so, it appears, and this is kind of for all my Bible nerds in the room, that Joseph had a cup that he drank out of. That was this silver cup. A goblet, if you will. And that he could even, in addition to his powers of reading people's dreams and pr predicting what God was saying in them, deciphering them, he also had the ability to locate things through divination. And that somehow he used this cup to figure things out. So as we go through the story in just a moment, you just need to know that there's a lot of silver in the story and that this silver cup is going to beg a question. And those three questions that we're going to ask as a result of this cup, how much is your brother worth? That's what we're going to find out. How much is your brother worth? Joseph already knew what his value was to Judah. On a count of three, one, two, three, Judah. How much did you sell me for? How much did you sell me for? 20 pieces? Was it 30? 30 pieces of silver? Someone fact check that and get back to me. I know Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. I think he might be right. 20 pieces of silver might be right. Anyway. And so he's inviting them up to the house, and we're going to have a meal. And during this meal, we're going to find out how much is the brother worth. And then we're going to answer the second question, has anything changed? And then the last question we're going to answer, is history going to repeat itself? So I want you to begin thinking about that in your personal life. How much is your brother worth? How much is the next soul worth? What would you be willing to do for that soul? What would you be willing to sacrifice? When it comes to your relationship with Jesus, has anything changed? When it comes to your life that you've lived out of faith, does history keep repeating itself over and over? If so, maybe today you should listen to today's sermon. Because I think there's a way to live with Jesus in which everything changes. All right. And the church said, amen. Boys, bring them up. This is my oldest brother, Reuben. Simeon. Levi. Say it with me. Judah. Dan. Naphtali. Gad. Asher. Issachar. Zebulon. Benjamin. Is this the brother you told me that was your youngest? The one that your father loves? Yes. Bless you, my son. 
Bless you. It says when he saw Benjamin walk in the door. I think we can put the verse up. It says that Joseph's heart was broken. It said he had to go leave the room. This is the second time in this whole arc of the story that Joseph dismisses himself to weep. He hasn't seen his brother. And even in this family, that's his family. In 22 years. To be so close, but there's still this, there's still this thing that's between us. And I don't know if anyone in here has family that's messed up, that's estranged. I don't know if there's anything crazy that's ever gone on in your life. But the Bible is full of crazy because it's full of you and me. And I hope today as you watch this unfold, you might just see a little bit of your life and hopefully you might see a lot of answers. It says that when they sat down, he said that they needed to serve the food. But when they were sitting there, they were confused. Because how does Joseph know how old we are? Because they looked around the table, and it was another of those freak-out moments, because he has them seated from the oldest to the youngest. How old are you, Rick? 53. 50. 50. Say it with me. Judah. 47. 45. 44. 41. 34. 31. Oh, it's the baby. The baby. Look at your baby. Joseph sat down and he said, serve the food. And they began to hand out the portions to their brothers. And they started at the end of the table, and, and I want you to know that we don't have time for steak and vegetables today, so we're just going to use money as our portions, so you just have to symbolically translate that in your mind. For my oldest brother, Reuben, $100. Reuben's name means to see. Isn't it interesting that he was the only one that saw of the ten bad brothers that they shouldn't do it? Simeon just released out of prison. Now we have the ability to hear and obey at the table. Do you guys understand the Bible picture that's being painted from God Almighty? Like, are y'all impressed with this? This is impressive that God could orchestrate all this. Levi, his name means to gather. All of the priests are going to come from Levi eventually. And then we have Judah. Somehow, someway, the greatest king in all the Bible is going to come from that guy. Wow. Dan means God judges. Mm. Naphtali, it means struggle. Gad, it means that God blesses with children. How many children you got? Six. I didn't make that up. I didn't know that, folks. 
That was a live reveal right there. God does some crazy things. Asher means happy. Issachar means reward. Zebulon means habitation. God has blessed the place. Then there was Benjamin. Benjamin, my brother. They were all seated at the same table. But Joseph didn't have the same favor for these. He had more favor for that one. You see, that's my brother. That's my brother I've been waiting 22 years to see. He's worth more than just one. Do it again. You see, when my brother was born, my mom died. And the last words that she said, the last time that I saw her, she called him Ben Onai. I mean, son of my sorrow, son of my pain. And then she died. After she passed away, my father, Israel, who had his own name changed by God, said, we will not call him Benoni, son of my pain, son of my sorrow. We will call him Benjamin. And Benjamin means son of my right hand or son of favor. I don't know what they called you when you were born, but I promise you God has a way of saying your name different than what some called you out of their worst moment, now their pain. God has the ability to redeem it and call it something new. And for that, do it a third time. When all of these brothers betrayed me, The only one sitting at this table that's innocent, that's been drugged into this because my family decided to disobey God. The only one who has clean hands is Benjamin. Do it a fourth time. Whenever we think about the dream, how many stars were in the dream? that would bow down before Joseph. Does anyone remember? Eleven. Did you guys not figure that out? It's eleven brothers, eleven stars. Everybody got that now? When they came to Egypt the first time, how many were here? Ten. Ten wasn't enough to fulfill the dream, was it? Somehow, someway, there was going to be eleven. And now the eleventh star is sitting at my table. God is surely good that after 22 years, he could bring his promise to pass and I am only six seats away from reconciliation, from redemption to restoration 
inside of my family. How good is God that he can bring it to pass even though I was in prison, I was in a well, and I was forgotten. God can surely bring it to pass. For the 11th star, do it a fifth time. As they sat at the table, they noticed that Benjamin, the son of favor, had five portions on his plate. Now it'd be real easy for these guys, especially, because haven't we been down this road before? Like, what did my father give me? A coat. And who got jealous? Who decided they wanted to kill me? Who changed their mind because there wasn't any money in it? Who sold me as a slave? And now I put five portions on the baby's plate? You think Joseph isn't trying to figure out something? How much is your brother worth? Has anything changed? Or is history going to repeat itself? You see, so many times in life we don't understand the favor of God. We think that favor is like a scarcity resource. And we see that he has five, and we see that they have one. And we say, that's not fair. That's not fair. That's not fair. Why? Shouldn't, shouldn't everybody get five, or he only get one? That's the way you think in life. That is not biblical. God pours out his favor on whom he will. And sometimes he pours it out more on some than on others. And then we sit back and say, I wish I had favor like that. I wish, and we almost want to take and throw him in the well because we want the favor that is on his life. But let me tell you something, friend. God gives grace to all of us. He gives grace for you, grace for me. He just gives greater grace for some. Now, when they get, receive greater grace, is that something that you should be jealous of? Or is it something that you should celebrate? Consider King David. He was anointed to be king. And yet there was one sitting on the throne. And the one sitting on the throne comes from him. Saul, the first king of Israel, was from the tribe of Benjamin. And because of Saul's disobedience, his son Jonathan was not able to receive the throne. Jonathan did nothing wrong. And yet his father's sin cost him his throne forever. Here comes David with a slingshot in his hand, taking down a giant in the valley, is promoted as the most amazing warrior of all time. People are singing his name, almost like prime time right now. Like Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands, and then the green monster got him. It says Saul became jealous. The guy that helped him establish the throne and defeat his greatest enemy. 
If someone saved you, wouldn't you think I should be loyal to that person for the rest of my life? Wouldn't that be the natural thought process? Like he saved Saul's kingdom by defeating the giant that no one else would face, including himself. And yet you repay that loyalty? You repay that good with evil? I just wanted to, in the name of Jesus, slap some of you in the face this morning. I just want to ask you the question, how many times has the church, let's just say this church, how many times has this church saved a soul, saved a family, brought back a prodigal child? And you would think, you would think that that would equal loyalty. But in our current generation of American church that we treat it like a country club, we're so fickle. If we have a broken toenail, we stay home. Oh, poor you. Poor you. If we get upset because someone said something or didn't say something, we walk off to the next church and on to the next church and on to the next church. But when you got here, you were a freaking Humpty Dumpty that had fallen down and we put you all back together again in the grace of God. We loved you when you were unlevel and now you have no loyalty? What's wrong? What's wrong with this generation? Now, Jonathan has to make a decision. Is he going to try to kill David to take back his throne? Anyone could see that that would be a normal thought. But instead, Jonathan does something incredible. He realizes that God's favor is on David. And he's put in this position where he has to choose between his family and God's favor between his family's desire and God's will. And all the married folks said, Amen. Dude, when you got married, it's you two. That's the union. Two. The two shall become one. Let the in-laws become outlaws. Okay? They're going to try to take your babies on Christmas. No! If we want to do Christmas at our house, we'll do Christmas. Oh, mom, I'm big guy. I'm big boy now in my big boy pants. <laughs> Have my own birthday. Some of you are so weak that you let people in the circle. Not even your children. Listen to me. Not even your children belong in that circle. God blesses the covenant, the two shall become one, and the favor is in the covenant. Jonathan chooses the covenant, and David rises to become the greatest king of all time. Now, when they get to heaven, who gets credit? Both. Jonathan helped establish the king. He's forever connected to making David the king. The favor that was on David passes and falls on Jonathan as a result for all of eternity. You see, sometimes we look and say, the favor is not on me, and that means I need to go take it from someone else. Do you remember when Peter was out in his boat when he met Jesus, and Jesus like, cast your nets on the other side of the boat? Does everybody remember this story? It says they caught so many fish that the nets began to break. And what do you have to do? He had to call James and John. James! John, get over here! They load up both boats. Both boats. Now, who was the favor on? 
Peter, who got blessed? Everyone. All you have to do is be connected. Connected to the king, connected to the catch, connected to the calling. Like the favor of God as the leader of Genesis Metro, the favor of God is on my life. I didn't choose that. It chose me. Does that mean that I have more than you and therefore you should want the favor that's on my life? I'm going to tell you how I look at it. I look at it like we are all teammates. That if you're connected to my favor and God pours out his favor on me, we all win for the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, to illustrate that to you, there's a trophy sitting up in our finance pastor's office. All right? Isn't that a ruggedly handsome, good-looking man? Would you guys agree? I just think, man, that Ben Burbrick, right? We were out on my boat one day on Lake Nakona. It was cold. It was not pretty weather. I took him over to this spot, and there was a laydown coming off of a bank line at a 45 at the dam, and I said, throw it at that tree. He threw it, came up three feet short. I said, reel it in, reel it in. You got to throw it past it. He threw it past it. And then I went back to fishing, and I heard this noise. It's a weird noise. Huh? Huh? It's like a, you know, it's a strange noise when you're on a boat. You're like, huh? And I turn around, he goes, I, I, I think I'm hung up. The fish was so big, it felt like he was dragging a tree back to the boat. And then I saw and heard one of the most beautiful sounds. And this fish starts pulling drag. And all of a sudden, it jumps up out of the water. I was like, oh, get the net, get the net, get the net. So I get the net, and I'm over there. He's fighting this fish. We're going around the boat, just playing ring around the rosy. And I'm like, underneath his hand, there's a drag, and I'm loosening the drag because if the fish runs, you don't have your drag properly set, it'll pop your line. And I knew this was a giant fish. And so we fought this fish, I don't know, a couple of minutes, but it seemed like forever. And then he brought it to the, the boat, and I scooped it up, and then he held it in his hand. And, dude, we were screaming like little girls out there. Like, woo! Woo! You know? And Ben does a specific scream. Is Ben in here? No, he's outside. He was like, woo! Like, <laughs> Titus, do your best, Ben. Yeah, it's, he's known for it around the office. He's hooting and hollering. And then we take a picture and we get a replica made because if you ever catch a large fish, let someone else catch that fish. You put them back, let them be healthy and live again. When people saw the pictures and then saw the replica, they said this consistently to Ben. They said, was Tim upset? Was Tim upset? Like, you caught, that's the biggest fish that's ever been caught on my boat, and like, he didn't catch it, so like, I bet he was upset, wasn't he? I bet, I bet he was like, oh, that should have been my fish. He's like, Ben's like, no. No, he was, he, was, he was celebrating. He was excited for me. He goes, I couldn't have caught it. I didn't know, it was Tim's rod, Tim's reel, Tim's line, Tim's lure, and he threw me where to, and I messed up, and then I had to throw it again. So like, I was never catching that fish without his guidance. Does that sound like favor to you guys? God is pouring out his favor and he puts it on people around you. And sometimes they have more favor than you have. But if you connect yourself to the people that have the favor of God on their lives, the result is we all win. We catch the next soul that walks through. We minister to the next family. And while the favor may be on you, you're connected to me. We're all connected to the king. We're all connected to the catch. And we're connected to the call to go out and save as many as we possibly can. And that's the favor of God. And the church said, amen.
Benjamin did nothing to earn it. But still I have favor for my brother. After they had eaten, it says that night, they drank freely. Now sometimes a glass of wine at the proper time can help restore some relationships. And for all the wine drinkers in the house, they said, thank you, thank you. Some, some were hearty on that one. It says they drank freely and were merry. Now Joseph is having a bipolar experience, wouldn't you say? Because he's having fun. He's reminiscing. He's thinking about possibilities. My brothers are all here. Haven't seen them in 20 years. Finally, I see Benjamin. Part of him is hoping for the best. But still that cup is asking the question, right? Has anything changed? How much is your brother worth? Is history going to repeat itself? And they drank. To Benjamin. You guys are dismissed. Can we give them a round of applause for helping us out today? As they left the next morning, Joseph had pulled his same head servant to the side and said, Put the money back in their bags again. Put the pistachios back in their bags again. <laughs> Give them their donkeys back. He said, but for my cup, put it in Benjamin's bag. And when you get there, you say to them, my master, he blessed you. He brought you in. He gave you the grain. And you dare Reward him evil for good? You dare take his cup? Go get the cup, boys. Asher. Yeah, give me that. Give me that. We're not going to have that trash up in here. Bring it to me. Not happy now, are you, Asher? Give it. Take it from him. 
That's a, that's a big boy. You see, whenever they had this interaction, Judah, the spokesperson who had sold his brother, did we fact check that? Was it 20 pieces or 30 pieces? 20. Judah. You counted it twice, didn't you? Judah said to the servant before they searched them, if anyone has the cup, let him die. And we will become your slaves forever. Now think about that. Joseph, I had my coat, and they threw me in a well and they sold me. They were just sitting at the table less than 10 hours ago, and there was a five portion blessing on Benjamin. And now he's got this cup. He's messing it up for all of us. We can all get out of this if we just give Benjamin up. Joseph wants to know, how much is your brother worth? Has anything changed? Or is history going to repeat itself? Look at me. You sold me for 20 pieces of silver. And now I have your life in my hands. It says all the brothers returned and they stood before Joseph. And Judah says, can I have a word in private? And he says... Sir, I know that you are equal to Pharaoh. But let me tell you what happened. He goes through the whole saga. And he said, at the end of the day, my father, you don't understand, he loves this boy. And he already lost a son. And I know if I don't bring him back, it's going to bring my father down to the grave. He will die. His heart will be broken. And Judah looks at Joseph and he says, take me instead. Take me instead. Let my brothers go. I'll pay the price for the rest of my life if you let them go free. It says at that very moment, Joseph lost it. And this time he didn't make it out of the room. He lifted up his voice and he began to weep. And you say to yourself, 13 years of prison and then being forgotten, being betrayed. Why all of a sudden has he, 
What did this break? What, what was it about this that got Joseph like nothing else? It said he wept so loud that the servants in the other room heard him weeping. And then they went and woke Pharaoh up and said, we got a problem. Joseph is upset. Do you know how important you are that they go wake up Pharaoh because you're crying in another room? Something is wrong. Something needs to be done. What is going on down there? You know what got Joseph? Is that his brother finally loved his brother more than he loved himself. His brother loved his father more than he loved himself. And you know what Joseph had wanted for 22 years? To be loved like that. And now he answered the question, how much is your brother worth? It's worth his life. Has anything changed? He's willing to be self-sacrificing. Is history going to repeat itself? No, because we're going to get right with God. Today I want to ask you the same questions. How much is your brother worth? How much is your sister worth? How much is the next family worth? If you have met Jesus and you have given him your life, has anything changed? Has anything changed? You grew up in a broken home. You were raised inside of that brokenness. And now you're married today. Is history going to repeat itself? Has anything changed? You said that you would never do it again. Has anything changed? Is history going to repeat itself? You've walked into church how many times in this building and said, today is the day he's preaching just to me. God sent him a sermon and typed out a little outline and it had cups, it had wine, it had money, it had all the things and it was just for me. A message from God. Has anything changed? Or is history going to keep repeating itself? Young people, how many times are you going to keep saying yes to Jesus on Wednesday and then saying no on Thursday? Are you going to change? Or is history going to repeat itself? It's hard to be different. It's hard to be different. It's hard to be Joseph in the midst of all of these other people doing all these other things. But what if Joseph was sent to save the entire world. What if being different is what made a difference? Then it'd be worth it, wouldn't it? Today, if you've accepted Christ, I just ask, if you know Jesus, something in your life should have changed. And if nothing has ever changed in your life, is it possible that you don't know Jesus? I'm not talking about, have you had communion? I'm not talking about how wet you got in a baptism. Because some of you, you know, it's like a light sprinkle. Some of you just full immersion. I'm not talking about if you're one of those crazies that were in the foot washing churches or someone slapped you on the head and you rolled around the ground. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, do you know Jesus? Like, like this. I'll put it like this. Did you give him your life? Because he gave you his. Did you give him yours? He didn't take it back. I just want to know, are you living with respect to what Jesus gave up for you? 
is the thing that you care about the most, the things that he cares about the most. Because if you don't want history to repeat itself and if you want things to change, you've got to crown Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the church said, amen. The Judas of the world can change. Judah was redeemed, reconciled, and then became the great, 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 great grandfather of David himself, who is the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus himself. If Judah doesn't turn it around at the table, then we don't have Jesus. Are you feeling what I'm saying? You ever try to trick yourself into believing that what you decide today doesn't impact eternity? Man, you may not have five portions of favor on your life, but with the favor you do have, what are you doing with it? Let's pray. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus, God, that you would help us. Help us to make the right decision. Help us, God, to answer the question that the cup is asking. Are other people worth it? Is our family worth it? Are my kids worth it? The people at my office, are they worth showing them Jesus? Are the people in my neighborhood, do they even know about Jesus? If I'm honest, have I been faithful? Or have I cheated? Have I cheated time and time again? on Jesus, telling him I love him, and then making everything else in life more important. Man, if that's you today, I hope you would see these men down here. I hope you would visualize the moment that they had to turn it all around. That moment is coming for you. What are you going to do with it? Surely, surely if Jesus forgave you the way that Joseph forgave his brother, surely if he died for you and gave everything for surely, surely that would bring a song to your lips and worship in your heart. Today is your day, my friend. Don't let this moment pass you by. Would you stand and worship with us today? The altar will be open if you want to join the brothers.